Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. It's going to get steamy for the next while on Late Lunch. Yes, it really is, as Sarah Carey and I do. Fifty Shades of Grey. Afternoon, Miss Carey. Afternoon, Terry. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well, and I haven't been looking forward to something on the airwaves for so long. Look, I'm giving them a bit of a bump steer here, but it's caught the attention, Sarah Carey, as your column in The Independent did over the weekend. And when I look at the picture, I'm here looking at it again. Who is looking out at me? Yourself, of course, but the wonderful Barbara Scully, who I interviewed recently. Hey, Sarah, I never knew she wasn't grey. There you go. Well, when I knew Barbara, she was a brunette like me in that picture. But of course, secretly under my expensively procured brunette, I may have some grey hair. But Barbara went grey during lockdown. Remember, we couldn't get to the hairdressers. Yes. And so I think I said in the article that some people were clearing the supermarket shelves of toilet rolls, but the women were after all the hair dye to try and keep ourselves looking a bit right. And Barbara went for it and said, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she let her hair go grey. And that photograph is beautiful. Doesn't she look great in it, Terry? Oh, she looks beautiful. And I want to just tell you something. A few years back on Late Lunch, our Women With Opinions, the panel of girls we had that came in to me once a month and they shot the breeze about this, that and the other. Two of them, uh, Betty Clark and Kira Burke of Sage and Stone fame in Dulik, decided to go grey with me on the show. And I followed them. Now, I have to say, Betty gave it a good go. But Kira went the whole hog and she's been silver grey since. And like Barbara, it suits her so well. Come on, Sarah, Gary, come on. No, Jerry, no. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I can't bring myself to do it still. And I know it's all the prejudices and biases that I have. But I have this thing where if I go grey, well, that means I look old and if I and if I look old well then what does that mean you know are people going to be interested in anything an old woman has to say and all of that so it's really really interesting how 
95% of women will still keep dyeing their hair and still not want to go grey. And in fact, I got such a reaction to that article, Jerry. Like I'd written one the previous week about Brexit that I'd spent, you know, two weeks researching mm. and there was hardly a word about it. Mm. And the one about whether or not women should let their hair go grey, <laughs> my phone was hopping on Saturday morning. <laughs> and you know what? That is typical because I experienced that in this job too. You know what I mean? You put your heart and soul in and then something which would you consider perhaps not dismissing it you know less you know less important yeah, no, perhaps. this stuff matters so one yes. of my friends one of my friends her hair it didn't go completely grey it was just kind of shots of grey through it it's actually beautiful in her black hair mm. and she told me that when she decided to stop dopping her, dyeing her hair one of her friends got really annoyed with her was basically trying to stage an intervention and why are you doing this and why are you letting yourself go and if there's one thing a woman cannot do Cherry it's to let herself mm. go she <laughs> get the judgement of society for that so it's really interesting how strongly a lot of women feel about it. It's very primal. And look, you know, it's an old thing, I suppose. It's not, not something particularly new. Mm. But um, but what is new is the amount of money going into it. Yes, It's a $20 billion industry globally. Wow. And, it, and I know, like, when I go into the hairdressers, you know, most people are guessing their colour done and it costs an absolute fortune. And I know as well from a feminist perspective, it's really bad because I, if I took the money and the time that I spent keeping my hair the way I think it should look and put that into something else like an MBA or as Barbara did, writing a book, mm. you know you'd be much better off and you'd be, <laughs> you know, it'd be better invested in yourself. But the social um, custom is that you don't do it. And the women who who do it are very much the outliers. It's really interesting. You say middle-aged, middle-class women don't deviate from the norms. And I'm sitting reading this thinking, who sets these norms? You know, partly we do it to each other, obviously. But partly, obviously, it does come down, you know, from the top. So when you establish a norm in society on anything, it's very, very difficult to deviate from it. So you look at younger women now and mm. the look that they have, mm. you know, and they have the eyebrows all, you know, uh, coloured up and the big lips and uh, massive eyelashes and all of that. You know, that's a norm that's set on Love Island and all these programmes. And then they follow it because they think that's the way they're supposed to look. Look at a tan. Mm. You know, a couple of generations ago, a tan was a vulgar thing to have because that proved that you were out working in the fields. Yes. And the and the nice way to look was to have lovely white skin. Mm. And then once international travel became a possibility, well, suddenly a tan was an aspiration because that meant you were able to go on holidays. Mm. So you flip around these norms very, very quickly, actually. So, um, and I know it's a conspiracy, <laughs> a patriarchal conspiracy to have the women distracted by all this personal grooming because the hair on your head is only one part of it. The hair yes. on your body is a whole other thing. Mm. Waxing and shaving, laser technology. I have a little machine at home, the Philips Lumia 2000, which zaps the hair <laughs> <laughs> under your arms and all the other places because God, God forbid you'd be seen with stray hair in your body. And, and you know, I said in that article and, and so many of my friends that I was absolutely right that if you stopped, say, shaving your legs, people would think that you were mentally ill. Mm. I mean, they really would think there was something very wrong with you. Yes. You know, so, yes. um, so it is amazing how strict that standard is and how strictly it is policed within women.
you know, by women. Yes. And, and, and you know something I'm thinking here, as you mentioned that, our Louise uh, said to me, Meath, of course, your own county, winning the second senior All-Ireland title recently. Oh, yes. fantastic. Louise was telling me, because you see, she has relations in the team, that all the girls tan their legs before they go out in the pitch in Crow Park. That's right. It's really, really important to them. And I notice as well that they, a lot of them have beautiful long hair all up in their ponytails. And I remember reading comments from the Ireland's ro- women's rugby team. Do you remember they were doing very well there yes. a few years ago? And they said the same, that they make a point of being really well groomed and looking really, really well when they go out because they don't want people to think that just because they're playing what might have been perceived as a man's sport, that that means that they're lacking in femininity. That Mm. is absolutely vital to them that they still maintain, you know, what are perceived to be feminine standards. Like it's terrible. It really is extraordinary pressure. Mm. And, and like I said, the money and the time that goes into it, it's an absolute fortune. I probably could have paid for an MBA if I wasn't doing it. <laughs> but you know when you think of this little globe that we live on and nature that's under so much pressure at the moment, and if you look at nature, especially, let's say, bird life, our feathered friends, most females of the species, with the odd exception, are beautiful looking. They have all the colour. The boys are, you know they're pretty drab and and, and you know what I'm saying and you know is it just a thing that that's the way it is that the female has to preen herself you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah, I do I do know it's very very primal Um, you know that it is about attraction and and I was saying that in the column as well and it may not be necessarily something that middle-aged women even want to acknowledge that this is still about being seen as being attractive to men Mm. so if you're letting your hair grow white is that saying, I don't care if I'm not attractive to men anymore. Mm. And you could easily say, well, if someone is married and has kids and is maturing, you know, why would they want to be attractive to men? And yes, (laughs) you know, that is still there. It really, really is. So so it's very liberating. And Barbara has said that, that it's really, really liberating, um, you know, to just free yourself of all of that. And of course, I mean, she looks great, Mm. you know. Um, it's not like she's given up on everything and isn't wearing no. makeup or, you know, all of that. No. It's just this one thing, the hair. So, um, so, so, and it's about a big ageism thing as well, because, you know, everything I'm saying presumes that older people aren't, A, attractive at all, mm. or B, are no longer interested in sex or in being sexually attractive, when, of course, that's completely um, untrue. Like, mm. that is a bias that we have. So it's very, very ageist. It encompasses a whole kind of prejudices that we um, make about people as they age. And interesting, in Asia, it's quite the opposite. That grey is um, quite revered and it's seen as wisdom and experience. So my husband used to work in the Far East and his hair went grey quite young. And he said when he went out there first, he was always shocked at the way the locals would kind of defer to him and be really nice to him and everything. Mm. And he couldn't understand it. He thought it was an Eastern Western thing. Yes. And then someone explained to them and said, no, no, it's your hair. It's because mm. uh, you're older and they really respect you because <laughs> you're seen as being older. So it's really interesting. It's, and here we might dismiss people because yes. they're older. Yes. But, yeah. y- you know, I-, I put this to you today as man to woman. You can come back to me, woman to man. <laughs> when you, you think about this, and it got me thinking, you know, a woman, let's talk as she ages, puts on a little condition maybe, gets a little heavier. The, the hair we're talking about, the body hair you mentioned, how, yeah. how women dress, the aesthetic surgery perhaps that they engage themselves in at, at times. 
But listen here, Sarah Carey. Yeah. The boys don't go this route at all. Yeah, you see, they are. Now, there is a little bit of it coming in and they are being worked on. And, you know, there is more going on with men now. But generally speaking, no. So, for Mm. example, if there is a man dyeing his hair, that's seen as vanity. Like, he seems a little (laughs) bit silly if he's doing that, you know. So, yeah, it's the double standard. Welcome to the patriarchy, Gary, you know. (laughs) And you're so right. I would know that from being a man and moving in my own circle of friends. If anybody does that, you're right, a man does that. You know, it's scorn nearly to say, oh, my God, you look at your man. He's trying to stay young or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's completely different. It's it's wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. But look, the other example I often give is shoes. You know the way they always say, oh, well, you can't know what someone is really experiencing unless um, you walk in their shoes. Women cannot walk in their shoes, okay? Their shoes are so high, it's, their feet are in bits. We have blisters, we have everything going on. Apparently, Victoria Beckham's feet are covered in corns and bunions and all kinds of things from uh, the shoes she's worn over the years. If I go out, I have a bag with the shoes that I need to be seen in in the bag. And when I'm going to wherever I'm going, I'm wearing the shoes that I can actually walk in. Mm. So, so Western women do this thing I call a voluntary hobbling, you know. And, and, like we're, and women are literally breaking their ankles in the shoes that they're wearing. So yes. why... Why are we doing this to ourselves? And this is where you do wonder, where are all the feminists gone? Like, where are the mm. bra-burning 1960s, 1970s feminists gone when this aesthetic is being set up as the one that you should reach? I hold, I hold Sex and the City responsible for an awful lot of this. Oh, my. my, Oh, my. I'm thinking Nell McCafferty here and Nulo Whelan and all the crew, you know what I mean, yeah. who were trailblazers. It is very true, you know, even though, you know, women have come a long way in terms of the patriarchal society as you mentioned there is still a huge question well there was a brilliant book published in the early 1990s called Backlash by a woman called Susan Faludi and her theory was that every time women made an advance there was some kind of a backlash so you might remember um, the fashion for women in the 80s and it was a big in Dallas and Dynasty mm. of the power suits and the huge big shoulder, shoulder pads, pads that yeah. women would wear the massive shoulder yep. pads right yeah. now women then did become more successful in the workplace and become executives and chief executives but the more uh, progress they made in the workplace the more the fashion regressed so the form figging uh, the form the form figure hugging dress mm. is now the standard executive dress for a woman and not the tailor jacket with the big shoulder pads that makes her physically equal to the man. And, and the shoes got higher and higher and all of that. And the grooming got, you know, more and more and more intensive. Mm. So for every um, real progress in substantive terms, there's, there's a pullback and a backlash um, in terms of fashion or something else, you know. Mm. So it's quite interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. I just want to shift the subject for a few moments before I let you go mm-hmm. and uh, bring something else up that really, I have to say, you're part, as I say, every week of my weekend reading. And I read a lot at weekends and I take in a lot across uh, the journalistic sphere in this country, Britain and America too. Look, Sarah, I, 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 I sat down Sunday evening and just thought quietly to myself, I don't think I've ever seen a time like this, a time of such negativity, housing, energy, health, water because of the, uh, the climate. How can we remain optimistic in the midst of this 
bombardment. Yeah, and I have to. I felt the exact same way as Did well. Did you? Yeah, yeah, the exact same, Jerry. Just you read so much negativity, and it's real. It's not like it's been invented. No. Like the Earth is on fire. Mm. <laughs> no, mm. it really, really is. And so there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, is you know, genuinely just don't watch as much of it. You know, so there's this doom scrolling thing where you can pick up your phone and you're scrolling through the news websites and all it does is bring you down. So just stop it. Um, You can do all the normal things that people have told us to do. Get out, do your exercise, grow your few little plants in your pot, Mm. you know, and do and try and do your little bit for the world. But the number one thing I find that cheers me up is the random act of kindness. Do something for somebody else. So don't think about how depressing your life is and how terrible everything is. You know somebody right now who is sitting on their own in their house or in a hospital or, you know, is in a bit of trouble and maybe you don't want to interfere. And I am all for interfering. The best thing, the the Mm. only things I've really regretted in my life are the times when I didn't interfere, when I said that's none of my business. So ring somebody up, go around and visit them. If they're giving you the brush off, barge your way in <laughs> get them out you know and my mother and I laugh we call them our corporate works of mercy that was the old phrase for um, a, a good Christian would do their corporate works of mercy go and do something for somebody else and you might think that people are not being kind to you mm. go, go and be kind to somebody else and, um, and, and that will take your mind off what's going on in the world and then actually does make the world a better place yeah, you know they are so, lovely so that's words. my advice yeah they are lovely words and you know through it all I am always the glass half full person people will tell you that I'm always sunny side out it's very rare you'll see me you know what I mean the other way and if you do well the world is in crisis to be honest with you <laughs> but uh, I have to say your words are fine words because despite all we're being hit and you and I have mentioned this before we've lived through the awful 80s and all that's followed there but you know what we pull through and we will yeah. pull through that's the message isn't it yeah and you think about wars yeah um you know all kinds of stuff that people have been through the oil shocks of the 70s yes sure we were all being reared for emigration in the 80s mm. and we were cold like i mean i know people are worried about an energy crisis this winter i mean when i was a kid you would wake up and there'd be ice on the inside of the windows like <laughs> we're not going to be that cold <laughs> you know no so, so there, and there is an element of stoicism and a blip spirit and, you know, we will get through this. There are people in an awful lot worse situations. A bit of gratitude, Jerry, can be a wonderful, wonderful thing and a bit of perspective. So, um, so the trick is think about other people mm. and, uh, and you will cheer yourself up. And by the way, you know, your attitude and when we chat on the phone and you are so cheerful, that's contagious. Mm. But when you smile at someone, a stranger on the street when you're walking by, you don't know what that smile will mean to them. Yes. So, so walk down the street with a smile on your face and, and you won't believe the effect that that will have on somebody else. I remember waking up in my uh, little uh, terraced house where I was reared and you're right, we had nothing. We had an open fire downstairs, no central heating and at night time in winter when there were hard winters, my father's overcoat along with the blankets and everything would be thrown over and I actually remember one morning waking up I had a bit of a cold and I think my nose was frozen. I, yeah. And... <laughs> those were the days and I'm still here <laughs> I know well I used to get chillblains I was yeah. a martyr to chillblains when I was a child and I haven't heard of anybody getting chillblains in a long mm. long time you know yes. so um, I remember an aunt of mine saying she woke up one morning and the water in the glass beside her bed had frozen yes. so 
Stick on an extra jumper. We have made huge progress in the world. It is a better place to live in despite all. And it's always the better on Late Lunch on LMFM Radio when we are joined by Sarah Carey. Reader in the Independent. She's simply brilliant. Thank you so much. I always appreciate your input and time. Well, thank you, Jerry. And I'm in a much better mood now having chatted to you. So, thank <laughs> Me too. You. Take All care right. of yourself. Bye-bye, Sarah. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. The brilliant Sarah Carey there. I love when she joins me on the show. She is terrific. Have you anything to say? Are you optimistic? Are you optimistic? Anyone out there optimistic? To tell you the truth, I'm always optimistic that the, the, the uh, dawn will come and that the sun will rise. I, I always feel like that. Rarely I said I, I wouldn't. And the grey thing, anyone out there gone grey? Yes, you heard us chatting about Barbara Scully, uh, Sarah's good friend who's gone grey and doesn't dye the hair anymore and loves it. And our own Kira Buck, I say hello to her today. Brilliant. She looks great grey. If you have anything to say, we want to hear from you on Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. 086-1800-658. Come on, WhatsApp or text me. Liverpool, hello. Hello, hello, Liverpool fans. Are you losing your heads? What's going on at Anfield? I didn't see all of the game last night, bits and pieces of it, but I certainly saw the headbutt. Oh, my word. Talk about losing it. Despite all that said, might have been provoked, this, that and the other. It was a straight red card. And Liverpool were lucky to get a point. Four points behind City. Two games gone. The league is over. <laughs> must be joking me there's 36 games left when I hear that nonsense I have to actually laugh I really do anyway Liverpool fans what do you think wasn't a good night at the office Gunners sharing the lead in the table with Man City mind you as a national long-suffering fan that will not last either I can assure you it will not last that is for sure anyway get your answers in Joe Dolan well I gave you the answers just get it in to me it's you it's you it's you and you're in the hat for the Joe Dolan tickets yes national anthem coming up after two you'll learn it you'll know it I promise you Now tell me honestly, folks, tell me honestly, honestly, as you listen to our national anthem there, how many of you can actually sing it and know the words Trigelga or is Berla in Irish or English? How many of you? I put my hands up today at my age and I'm a mumbler when it comes to the national anthem. Honestly, I know some of the lines, but I don't know it. Well, let me tell you something. A young lady dropped a book into us here in LMFM last week called Our National Anthem. And you know how we love our books on late lunch. But I'm going to tell you, folks, in all my years here, this is one of the loveliest books that I've ever received. And I'm delighted to welcome its author to the show, Rachel Cooper. Welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank you for having me on. Oh, well, I'll tell you, not alone me, Rachel. I've passed this round as well. And anyone who's taken it up said to me, isn't it just brilliant? You've spotted a gap in the market here, haven't you? Well, um, I couldn't believe that there was no children's books written on our national anthem. So um, the inspiration came from me attending GAA and rugby matches throughout my adult life. And then when it came to time of singing Aaron Avian, I wouldn't know the words. And, you know, I'd kind of mumble along maybe to the first line or two. And then I'd look around at people beside me in the seats and they seem to be experiencing the same thing. So nobody seems to really know our national anthem or very few of us. So 
I decided then I was going to go away and learn it myself, which I did. So I then thought, well, why not write a children's book about it? Because I personally believe that if it did feature more in classrooms and in homes throughout the country, that we'd, we'd stand a better chance of remembering it in our adult life. So then when it comes to attending GAA matches and rugby matches that, you know, we, we know the words. You're looking at the biggest child in the room here today, let me tell you. And it's for big, mature children as well. This is the truth. This is not alone for children. This is for everybody. Have you heard that? Have you got that feedback? Yes, definitely got that feedback from parents as well, saying that, you know, it's a nice opportunity for them to learn. Because what I've done is that I've included not only... Um, the Irish Ironavian um, version. Well, it is it is obviously in, in Irish, but I've included the English version and a phonetic version. So you know, it's a sad fact, unfortunately, that a lot of us have forgotten our Irish since we've left school. So the phonetic version makes it easier to pronounce and to sing along to. And then when you know what the words mean, you, you know, you can sing it with more depth of feeling, and it's easier to remember then in Irish. I have been to so many occasions that the the song has been sung on some remarkable occasions, internationally, nationally and locally as well. Mm. And I can tell you that the song still makes the hair stand on the back of my neck. And you've done me uh, uh, such a service today by bringing this book to me because I will know the song from here in. And I thank you for that as well. And I know thousands of others will when they get hold of this book too. You mentioned it was, you know, a concept of yours and you've brought it to development now. But would you tell our listeners, who wrote this song? Just It's in the book, but just tell it them. It is, it is. So it was written back in 1909-1910 by Padder Carney and Patrick Heaney. So they were from the north inner city of Dublin. And it was actually originally written in English. So it was called The Soldier's Song. So, um, you know, back in in those days, Ireland was in a a very different position to what we are in now. So it wasn't until 1923 that it was um, translated into Irish by Liam Liam O'Rin. So we actually didn't... um, use it as our official national anthem until 1926. So, you know, it's been a lovely journey for me to research all of this. And, you know, it's 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 just been fantastic to get involved with something that, you know, originally it was a business idea, but now it's actually turned into a huge passion of mine. You know, I think I, I think that, you know, for purely cultural identity, we should all know our anthem. And, you know, it's disappointing to hear that we're the only country, certainly in Europe, that doesn't know our anthem. So I, I really think, Jerry, we can can all do better than this. And I'm just thinking here, every Irish soccer player, because they come from diverse backgrounds, should have a copy of this book, <laughs> Football Association of Ireland. And you teach every player that, you know, when you're watching them on the television as they yes. line up, especially yeah. the soccer players, you know. Definitely. And some sing and some don't and some mumble like myself. Yeah. This I- should be compulsory. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, I think if you're representing our country, you should know our national anthem. And I mean, the, the key is as well is to, you know, take take the words and the meaning into today's society. Like, for example, you know, Sheena Fina Fall, they're the words that we do all know, <laughs> the very first line. So that means soldiers are we. So, you know, if we bring that into today's context, um, you know, in a way we are still soldiers. It's just what we're fighting for today is different. So we're fighting against things like bullying and unfairness and inequality. So, you know, those those words can be applicable to today. And, uh, you know, another another reference would be Hartine de Ronig Hooing, 
So that's a reference to people from a land beyond the wave. And again, in today's society, Ireland is now made up of a nation of, you know, we're a nation that's made up of many different nationalities. So, you know, again, this is applicable. And I think that the, the book is a fun and engaging way to get children involved. Like it's not enough to hand out. It's not enough to hand out a black and white um, photocopy, you know, and dust it down once a year for things like St. Patrick's Day. It's not on the curriculum. So, you know, I, I, I think that even if a couple of books were in classroom libraries of national schools throughout the country or, you know, in, in homes as well, where um, parents can get involved and, yes. you know, get on board, then, you know, again, we would have a much better chance of, of learning the anthem. So, um, yeah, the, the, the positive feedback has been fantastic. So, you know, it, it's showing me that it's initiative, that it is very worthwhile undertaking. And, you know, I've had emails from not only parents, in Ireland, but as far as the USA and Australia, you know, so they're they're just um, delighted to you know get be able to read something that is along the lines of where everybody can get involved. Mm, there's a huge market. I see it for this in the diaspora, especially in the states, but all over the world as well. Because yes. when you're away, it's a great pride in that anthem as well, and to know it, to know the words, and to be able to sing it. I see. I'll tell you one thing, young woman. The world is your oyster here with this. I, I really mean this. And you know what? I love about it as well as you did with a couple of the lines there through the book you explain the sentiments uh, you know of the lines of the song as well and I think that is lovely you also may I say it's so educational as well in terms of your your features on the Shamrock the Harp St. Patrick and of course St. Bridget our own St. Bridget will be claiming loud Kildare claimer as well there's a bit of a <laughs> tug of love there going on yes. but you know the new national holiday Absolutely. you know so there's, there's a lot more body to this book as well the tricolour tell us about that the tricolour as some people would call it but the three colours really encompass all the traditions on this nation, on this island, should I say. What about the, the flag, its background and where that came from? Absolutely. So um, obviously it's the green, white and orange colours that are featured. So it represents the unification of Ireland. And um, it was first presented to the Irish um, by a group of French women. So a lot of people don't actually know that fact. Um, and it was raised in the 1916 Rising um, and it was generally recognised from then on as our Ireland's official flag. So, again, a lovely subject to kind of research and um, do a little do a little bit of um, reading about that. So mm. and yes, going back to what you mentioned there is that I have included other topics like the Vikings and our emblems yes. and, you know, St. Bridget, I decided to include because, as you said, it's going to be a new national holiday. So um, I decided to, to include her as well. Mm. Yeah. And I love, I'm just looking at the pages here with uh, the Irish and English versions and the phonetics included there as well, which is very handy. And of course, then at the very back, you test your knowledge after reading the book. You have a quiz. And of course, my little granddaughter, Ava, uh, one of my grandchildren, loves the word searches. And there's a word search in the back there, too. Um, I'm curious about you, by, uh, by the way, because... You know, this is your first book and and you're publishing your first book under your own publishing label as well. That's correct. Yes. So I set up um, the publishing company called Aberlin. So at the moment, I'm just promoting this book. I have other children's books in the pipeline. So um, there'll be more on that um, as as time goes on. But again, they're all Irish themed. So um, I decided during lockdown to give this a go. So I have left my job in finance and yeah, it's, it's it's a very exciting. See my expression. <laughs> my my mother did that to me once or twice in my lifetime, Lord Mercer. My wife did it to me as well on, on one particular occasion. But you've made the leap. 
I've made the leap. So yes, it's a little bit nerve wracking, but um, very, very exciting. So um, yes, th- all the all the thought went into it, um, mostly during lockdown. So it was about approaching the right people as well. So I'm very lucky to have friends. One is a web designer and the other is a graphic designer. So they got on board as well. They thought it was a lovely idea. So that's kind of how it, how it has progressed from my idea to literally becoming a publishing company. So it, it's, you know, so, so far I'm, I'm so delighted with all the feedback. Isn't it exciting though? It's exciting times. I see it in you. Like, yeah. you know, look at this. This is your baby, you know, yes. and look where it's going. Look at the potential, you know, especially when you hit on something like this as your first venture, because many try and try again. You're away to a flyer here. Thank you very much. Yes, I'd, I'd be just so delighted now if, um, you know, the, you know, if, if people would take my viewpoint as well, that we should all know our national anthem. And, you know, from carrying out Vox Pops and interviews throughout the country, Jerry, like the results were pretty staggering and very disappointing to know that one in 20 one in 20 people that I asked um, around St. Patrick's Day and at um, matches and, you know, events throughout the country. So it, it, it is, it's, it's very, very disappointing. Mm. And if it's not featured on the curriculum, then we need to find another way that we can get children access to this book. And again, as I said, it's, it's not enough to be dusting it down once a year, you know, for St. Patrick's Day or for St. Cent- Centenaries. You know, now I'm certainly not saying that children should be seeing it every day before assembly, you know, nothing yes. like this. But, you know, our, our national anthem, it's only 60 seconds from start to finish. So, you know, why not maybe start a Friday on a good note by having the kids sing it together in mm. the classroom once a week or once mm. a month? And again, um, you know, the, b- by providing the phonetic version, it's a way for everybody to get involved because there's many kids whose parents mightn't speak Irish yes. or they mightn't have been born in Ireland. Mm. So, again, it's a way to, um, to get everybody involved. And you know, I, I keep remembering and referring back to seeing all the Ukrainian children and, you know, how they were all singing their national anthem outside the doll with such pride. And, yes. you know, again, it's quite disappointing. I'm not sure that our children could could sing their anthem, mm. you know, in return. So, again, something to think about. I'm with you all the way here, I have to say. <laughs> Somebody asking there, why did they stop playing the national anthem after the band stopped playing in a public house? It was always the norm. Mm, I won't even answer that. I think it was disrespectful, probably, uh, you know, to play mm. it at the end. But look, we leave that one for the time being. Tell me a couple of things before we finish. Aberlin Publishing is you. Where is this book available? So you can buy it online, Jerry. So I've set up the website www.learnouranthem.ie and that will take you directly to my Aberlin Publishing website and you can purchase the, the book there. It's um, currently retailing at twelve ninety nine. Uh, you know something learnouranthem.ie it couldn't be easier folks go on in and check it out now I recommend this highly to everybody listening today there should be one in every house in Ireland and I mean that about the sporting bodies as well they should teach their players with this book I just love it I say it again in books we have our book club here I get a plethora of books to me every week and I interviewed the great and good I absolutely adore this book and I congratulate you on producing it. Oh, it's thank you wonderful. So much. Who did the illustrations, just in case I forget? So um, a friend of mine, Leo Bakermore, she's very good with illustrating. Um, so she she did the, the, the illustrations, I which I've had them. many compliments about. So oh, she's, yes. she's fantastic. <laughs> she really is. 
Uh, we'll be hearing from you again, Rachel Cooper. There's no doubt about that. I'm intrigued. Don't forget us when your next project uh, goes you. live or whatever. Thank but so folks, much, again, learnouranthem.ie. The book is called Our National Anthem. Great for children of all ages. Of all ages, I say. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. On Tuesday, on your late lunch, which means one thing, it's time for this. It's time for our Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'm supposed to be number, number one. one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Two, two on a Tuesday. Released today's song on the 13th of September 2013. It charted in late 2014, became a massive hit in 2015. It topped the charts in 12 countries. It was a top 10 hit in 21 others. But it fell just short on the UK charts. And indeed, it spent three weeks at number two on the US Billboard 100 Hits in the USA. You're two on Tuesday. Yes, it's Mr. Hosier. My lover's got humour. She's a giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak. Hosier. Our two on Tuesday and your late launch. Hard to believe that that didn't make number one in the charts, but it was around forever. It really was. Weeks and weeks. A slow burner and then hung in there, but never made it to number one in the UK, which is the chart we feature each week here on Late Lunch. So what kept it off top, top spot? It was number two in the UK, I mentioned there, for uh, three weeks. It didn't get there. Here it is. Your number one that kept Hosier in his place. Goulding, love me like you do. I just had to let it play all the way. Love that song. That was the number one that prevented Hosier Take Me to Church making it to number one in the UK. It was number one for four weeks and it is the soundtrack of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, it is. And we were talking great. Top of the show with Sarah Carey, which brings me back to your comments. I know a man that gets his body hair waxed every six weeks as a listener and he's married. Oh, would you believe it? Married or single, the some of the boys love to get the waxing done too. That is for sure. Love your show, Jerry, and the positivity. Yes, well, we try to keep it upbeat as much as we can. Not always possible. And there's topics we cover that, you know, bring uh, different aspects of life to bear. But look, we've got to keep the chin up, the positivity. We've got to keep it going. These are difficult times, but we will prevail. That is for sure. Late lunch, LMFM radio. And on the subject of the difficult times we're in, my next guests are going to talk to us about God and where is God and God's role in this whole world of ours that seems to be falling apart at the moment. Stay with us on Late Lunch. So let me tell you the story. I told you a little earlier that I received a book and uh, one of my interviews earlier on, of course, uh, with uh, Rachel Cooper. She dropped it into me and we were talking about the book about the National Anthem. Well, you know the way I say to you on Late Lunch, I love getting letters. And in today's world, letters are rare. Anyway, I received a 
a letter from Victoria Takarinda uh, and I read the letter and I said, oh, I wonder would she come in and talk to me? Well, today's the day she's here with me and I'm delighted to say uh, hello to her husband as well. Simba and Victoria Takarinda, welcome to Late Lunch. It's great to see you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank so you much for, for joining us. me. No, you're very welcome to the show. Well, Victoria, this letter really got me and I said I have to talk to the lady that wrote it. First of all, will you tell us a little bit about yourselves? You're both originally from where, Victoria? From Zimbabwe. And how long are you in Ireland? Since 2007. Right. And living in the North East for many years here? Uh, this is our fifth year. And happy with life here? Do you, li- do you like it in the North East? We really, really love it. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words. People will appreciate that. Your letter that came to me, though, is based on your faith. Tell us about your faith. Well, um, we are Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, the letter that you got there is part of the voluntary work that we do. And we started doing this work because we were so concerned about people. So maybe you want to know a bit more about how I got the faith. Uh, as growing up myself as a teenager, I started having so many questions that I wanted my parents to answer. Unfortunately, my parents couldn't answer them because they didn't have much knowledge either. So that meant that we ended up going to different religious denominations and being members and then coming out. Then when I almost gave up, when I was about 16 years old, these two lovely ladies knocked on our apartment door and they looked so calm, but they were so cheerful. So I couldn't understand why, why, why were they so happy? Like, what, what, what's the deal? So they said to me, um, they had a special invitation for me that God wanted me to be his friend. So that got me to get interested. And then I say to them, look, I have so many questions that religion has failed to answer me. So why would you tell me that God wants to be my friend? And then they said, well, do you know that for you to understand somebody, you have to be friends with them. And this is the invitation we are bringing you. So they showed me a scripture from the Bible as usual of Jehovah's Witnesses. I didn't know much about them that time. So they read to me James chapter 4, verse 8, which said, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Then I started thinking, is that why I couldn't get the answers that I was looking for? Is it maybe because I wasn't God's friend? So I took on their offer. And from that time, I never went back. So the Bible is the bedrock of your belief. Is that what you say to me? The Bible. And the same for you too, Simba. It is the Bible. And is your story similar to your wife's? Well, it's it's a bit different. Um, I was actually, my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. But it's, it's really important to note that um, as individuals, we have to make uh, decisions at some point in our lives, whether to follow you know, the religion of our father and mother or maybe uh, to, you know, to take the direction of what we want because we have been created with a free will. And uh, there's a scripture which is in the Bible which I wanted to share with you. Uh, this scripture is at um, uh, John, uh, John chapter um, 6, Verse 44. It's really interesting because it brings out some fundamental truth about um, humans when it comes to God looking after them. Because it talks about um, no man comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws to him and I will resurrect him on the last day. That's really powerful because it shows that uh, God draws us to him. Mm. And then, just like what Victoria says, we've got the opportunity to become friends with him. Did you, uh, so you were in the faith with your family. You weren't. The faith came to you, could I say. And, and when you met, uh, were you in the faith at that time when you met your husband? I was only starting 
at that time. So it, it was like a bonus that was just dropped in front of me because not only was I able to get more information from these two ladies that came to me, but then I had somebody who was chasing after me that I could even bombard with more <laughs> questions. So it was like I was constantly studying Besides those two women, I was asking him questions, and he was still sh showing me the answers from the Bible. So look at so me now. God has been involved in bringing you together <laughs> exactly. as well. Look, the, 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 this is a powerful message, I have to say, in your letter. By the way, how many of these letters did you send out, may I ask? Because they're handwritten. <gasps> there are loads and loads of letters mm. that went out handwritten. And the reason why we do this is because we really care mm. and we, we have... We love the well-being of people because we knew because of the pandemic, we were not able to talk to people door to door as we are known yes. to be doing. So we thought a lot of people must be asking questions. They must be suffering with the pandemic. They don't know what's happening. How can we reach them? How can we give them comfort in their own homes? That's when we started writing letters. And we have sent loads and loads of letters. Also directing people to jw.org because that's where you can get in as much as information as you can whilst you're in the comfort of your own home. Yes. Because of the isolation and the seclusions of COVID, we couldn't go about, but you could still go online type in and ask questions. But you know what? The letter is powerful, I have to say, because it is a traditional way of people corresponding mm. and it's not the way of today. So when you get one, it nearly makes you sit up and, and take notice. I'm sure you've realised that too. Can I ask you this? The world is in turmoil. I don't have to remind both mm. of you. I've been talking about it earlier on in the show here today. Where is God, Simba? Where is God in all of this, please? Well, that's really, really an interesting question because to really answer this question, we have to know the reason why this has happened to the stage as it is. And I think uh, for us as, 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 as Christians, when you look at God's way, the Bible, we think of creation. Because God created the first human pair, Adam and Eve. They were perfect humans. And then there was another spiritual creature who was God's angel, who had rebelled against God. And then this spiritual creature, well, it influenced this couple to rebel also against God. And through them to Adam and Eve, well, it's like a gene which is passed from generation to generation. And that's why all of us, we inherited that sin. And that's why this world is in turmoil as it is now. But the most important thing is that God has not forgotten about us. He's, you're saying to me, he is here. He is among us. He yes. is with us. Yes, he is. But the point is, who is really controlling the world at the present time? I'm worried that it's men and women, especially men, I have to say. <laughs> uh, you're, you're OK. You're OK, Victoria. We better point the finger at ourselves, myself and Simba and all the boys. Men, really, you know, when you look at this world today and the turmoil it's in, there's a lot of men behind this. And they're obviously not godlike. How will God, you know come into them or into their into their countries and their way of thinking how just the way like simba explained that who really controls the world we have to answer that question and we know the scriptures say the world is under control of the devil so if the devil is controlling the world then us as humans what is going god going to do about it how is god going to come into us this is where the studying of the scriptures going back to the basics going back to what the bible says and the bible is the only place where we can find answers that really satisfy the need we all have a spiritual need 
and it's only Jehovah who can satisfy that. So we are encouraging people to look into their Bible again, to search for answers into their Bible and understand what the Bible really teaches about life. Isn't that interesting? Because in Ireland many moons ago, the Bible was central in many homes. It's disappeared completely. Faith has, you, you know this, you know the history here, the church, the way numbers have fallen away. You're Christians yourselves, you know, part of that Christian community. Mm. It, it seems to be lost. Faith seems to be lost. Yes, that's, 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 that's so true. But at the same time, um, that scripture which we looked at, at John chapter 6, God is still drawing us towards him. But in the meantime, there's a really another lovely scripture which we need to think of. That is 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. It says that we, all of us, originate with God, but the world world is lying under the power of the wicked one. Until that wicked one is removed through God's kingdom, then the world will become a paradise like what God had intended. So are you really saying that through the power of one, each of us, people listening to us today, that within ourselves and within our hearts, that we can affect the change and bring God into play? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Not exactly. Okay. But what we are saying is only God's kingdom is the one that can bring peace into the world because governments can be replaced by different governments. Yes. But that doesn't mean that that government that was that is new is going to follow through the promises of the previous government, isn't it? This is the way we are with the world. And we have tried for several years to correct our ways. Unfortunately, the Bible says you can't correct a crooked thing. So the only thing that is straightforward, that is going back to the basics, is Jehovah's kingdom. So that kingdom alone, is the one that we base our hopes on because that kingdom does not only promise to eradicate all the problems we are facing at the moment, but it also has good news of giving us the good life that we created to be to enjoy in the beginning that we lost through our parents, Adam and Eve, which how sin entered into us. We can't get rid of death. We have tried so many remedies, haven't we? But Jehovah promises that in the future, no one will be crying because the main enemy death would have been removed. So only God's kingdom is where we place our hope in. And we know Jehovah's words never go unaccomplished. Whatever he says always gets accomplished. That's why we encourage people to look into the Bibles again, search for their creator again. What are they looking for him? Because it's not about what we want as humans, but what Jehovah's standards are. So uh, let me ask you this. Can this world be turned around? Can we have a world at peace with every country living at peace, every creed, every colour living at peace? How does that come about? Well, through God's kingdom. So the kingdom of God is um, going to be, you see, it's already established in heaven. Um, but there are some things which have to happen for that kingdom to really affect us all on earth. For example, uh, we know that that kingdom is ruling in heavens. Uh, Jesus Christ is the king of that uh, that that kingdom, and then he's got his co-rulers. But until the ones ruining the earth have been removed, well, that's when this kingdom will really affect us. And how again will that happen? I'm trying to get to this point. How will that happen? It will happen because Jehovah has purposed it to happen, right? That's that's the the simplest answer, and it's, it's only inevitable. You're yes, saying. and it's only on Jehovah's appointed time. This is when this will happen. And he promises that we'll all live happily ever after. 
This is the beginning. That's what he wanted in the beginning. So every tribe, every nation can live together peacefully mm. only when Jehovah's time, when he gets rid of all the wicked and he removes that. So it's only through God's kingdom that it will happen. But it's at his own specified time. Unfortunately, we can't rush him because he knows the best time. So all we have to do is have faith in what we read because Jehovah gave us the Bible as the manual to our reading, to our living and everything. Just like a manual for a tell if you don't want to know how to play it or everything you use that manual so the manual for the creation of a human being is god himself the creator so we still have to go back to the bible listen to it understand it says jehovah is going to bring an end to all suffering so that's what we believe in the heaven you talk about sim the heaven that you you uh, we go there you believe that beyond this human existence what's there well, we, we as Jehovah's, uh, as people who have read the Bible, and uh, we know that, uh, for example, I want to share you a little uh, scripture there, just for you to have a thought with. It's um, Psalm chapter 37, verse 10 and 11. It says, just a little while longer, and the wicked will be no more. You will look at where they were, and they will not be there. So, where is this happening? It's happening here on earth. So, God's kingdom, yes, it's ruling in heaven, but it will bring peace and justice here on earth. So it's like your house is full of uh, cockroaches. How do you eradicate the cockroaches? Well, you fumigate the, 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 the cockroaches so that all of them, they die, and then you can still live in that house. You don't go and maybe change house and live somewhere else. You still live in your house, but you fumigate the, the problem which is in that house. Look, I have to leave it there for today. Just give that website again where more information is. It's jw.org. Quite simple. As simple as that. And the Bible is the key. Exactly. It's been a real pleasure meeting you today. Thank you for sending me the letter. And I do th- appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thanks We've got for something for you. We want to leave you as well. Love We've it. got a little um, a brochure, which, you know, you'd be interested to read and uh, some of your stuff as well. You and your workmates. And thank you so much for having thank us, Thank you so Jerry. much for joining me on the show. Simba and Victoria Takarinda. I wish you all well. Thank you. Thank you. you. Yeah, it's a fixture on Late Lunch every afternoon, round about now. The Late Lunch Artist Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Hot chocolate it is this week and so many people enjoying them. Yes, they began live, just to remind you, as an opportunistic novelty act when Errol Brown and Tony Wilson joined a group of Brixton-based musicians who were recording reggae covers of hit songs from the late 60s and early 70s. Ironically, a bizarre version of John Lennon's Give Peace a Chance found its way to Lennon himself. He loved it so much... He convinced Apple to release it on their label. But the boys were signed by Mickey Most, as I mentioned yesterday, a famous producer, and his PA, sorry, his RAK label. They initially floundered, scoring the odd pop hit, until Most convinced them to go in the direction of social commentary with their music, and he tightened up their style and arrangements. And that's when Hot Chocolate really took off in the mid-70s with major hits like Brother Louie and Emma. I may play one of those, of course, before the end of the week. But they couldn't score a hit with their albums, except their greatest hits collections. Yet successful singles rolled along year on year. Today, I go back to 78 and a song based on an idiom Cockney Barrow Boys used to yell on the streets of London. Always recognised for its fuzzy guitar riff, one of the most iconic hot chocolate songs.
If it's something else, isn't it? With Errol Brown's voice. Brilliant. My artist of the week, hot chocolate. Everyone's a winner when you tune into late lunch every afternoon. So true. And it was Michelle Howard. I'll dedicate that one to Michelle Howard who sent me that sexy message a little while ago. Great choice of artist of the week. And Michelle tells me I actually met Errol Brown in Fairy House at the Irish Grand National back in 1997 he had a horse running called Gainsay trained by Jenny Pittman from the UK I remember he looked so handsome and cool looking forward to hearing some of his great tunes this week great show as always says Michelle Michelle lovely to hear from you wish you well this afternoon thanks indeed for sending us that lovely message yes I'll have more from Hot Chocolate and Words and Song right about this time on the show on Wednesday afternoon just to remind you that LMFM ourselves here have teamed up with Bus Erin to help the Dundalk branch of Meals on Wheels. And we want to fill that bus again this year with essential food, household items and anything you donate will go to the vulnerable and elderly in the local community in Dundalk. The LMFM crew will come to us from the Long Walk bus station this Thursday between 10 and 4. We want to fill the bus, as I said, and support Dundalk Meals on Wheels. What will you bring along to put on the bus? For example, things you could bring, tin tomatoes, a breakfast cereal, uh, kitchen roll, you know that type of thing, tea and coffee, stock cubes, always useful, tins of fruit, stuff like that. Most Welcome at the uh, Long Walk this week, uh, this week, this Thursday, in uh, the, on the day after tomorrow. If you go along there and drop in what you can, it'll be gratefully accepted. So let's fill that bus to the rafters and help Dundalk Meals on Wheels. Now, we've been giving you the chance on late lunch yesterday, today and tomorrow. And then we're going to do the draw on Friday for the big Joe Dolan gig that's coming up in Navin this weekend. Yes, just reminding you, remembering Joe is back in Navin at the New Grange Hotel. And up next on late lunch, we're going to have a chat with Joe's nephew, Adrian Dolan. The Joe Dolan Show, Remembering Joe, is in Navin this Friday night at the New Grange Hotel. There are still a few tickets available. You can book online at showtours.ie. That's showtours.ie. Or you can contact the hotel reception itself. I'll give them a ring there, 046 90 but I have somebody standing by on the line who's an integral part of the show. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you, Adrian Dolan? Yes, it's me. It's me. It's me, Jerry. <laughs> well, yeah, how'd you get that in? Yeah, I just had to. Sorry, <laughs> for, sorry, for, it's cheesy. I know, Adrian, but you know what we're getting at. Listen, listen, this is the story about this show. This show is a sellout anywhere it goes. It is, and it's very popular. And really, it's only popular because of those songs that Joe had out. And what we're doing is we're just uh, recreating a, a sort of a, a, a remembering Joe Nice with 
say all his songs with his family there and uh, original band members. And what we, we try to do is just put across Joe's songs. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we don't have, have Joe with us. But, you know, what we have is his songs and they're a great legacy. And not alone have you uh, put a fantastic spin or twist or whatever you say in them. You, you actually, if you closed your eyes, you'd imagine that the man himself was there with you because his brother Ben is there, who co-founded the Drifters show band all those years ago. There's yourself, his nephew, uh, and the other nephew, Ray. You have niece Sandra and Dundalk singing sensation Karen Carroll and a host of the guys who played with Joe Sure, He might as well be there. Well, yeah, but it just shows you that we have to have so many singers to recreate yes. those songs because yes. Joe had such a range yeah, in his voice yeah, yeah. that what we do is we try to play all the songs in the keys that Joe would sing them on and, and that actually gives that sort of nostalgia feeling to it as well. And it, it sounds, the music, musically it sounds like the gigs. Uh, and we try to recre- recreate the songs then with the voices. And, I mean, we we all take part. We all do a few songs. Ben does his bit of country songs. He And he does a bit of talking about the time of the road with Joe and that. And then I would do the songs that I wrote for Joe. Um, mm. So the, And then Ray... Uh, he would he would sing a few more and then Sandra and then Karen would be able to do the high pitch songs because yes. the range um, so yeah it, it's a it's a sort of a, a party type night uh, and even though it's a cabaret people are all quite quite sort of quiet at the beginning but hmm. at the end of the night everybody's on their feet <laughs> and it's uh, you know waving their hands in the air and stuff like that and you know it's just you know 15 years on I mean when you think of it it's yes. just that that his music is still living on you know and yeah. it, it's nearly like today we're talking about you know like Elvis Presley's anniversary yes. is around at this time and you know when you think of it that's 40 something years on and mm. Elvis' music is still yep. as fresh as ever and then we're talking about it with Joe and his music is is, is still living on so oh, it's yeah. great great his popularity has endured and will endure. And here's the thing, you know it from looking out in the audience. People would think it's of an age, but it is the most mixed audience, isn't it, age-wise? It is, age-wise. Yeah, we've got a, a, a younger type yep. audience as well as mm. an older audience. Mm. And we even have people coming along to this show now that would never have seen Joe live as, and as a concert, yeah. you know, they, they just followed him through on videos and that have become fans of his music and come along then to celebrate. So it's, you know, it's across the board, you know, that we have people from that used to see Joe in the 60s in the dance hall days and then people that would have saw Joe in the 80s and 90s and stuff. And it's, yeah, it, it's it's really like what I say about in Killarney when we, we used to play in Killarney. Um, and we'd do the summer season down there and we'd have um, mothers and uh, daughters and sons and stuff. And then those sons and daughters grew up and then they were along at the next shows that we would yeah. do maybe five years later. Mm. And it was always a generation type thing going on at, at Joe's show. So he appealed to, you know, younger and older audiences. And that, even during his career himself, that was... That was what made him so enduring, you know. Mm, absolutely. If you were to pick a, a song that drives the audience uh, wilder than most, is the one, or do they all, all the greats really get everybody up and going? 
there's there's a lot of grapes in it and it's nearly like driving a car you know when you're shifting gear it suddenly goes into another gear <laughs> I love it you know we, we, we played the show and so you know we're playing good looking woman and they're all off and then they die down a bit and we go into it's you it's you back up again and mm. into more and more goodbye Venice like they're all songs that bring people up you know if you're if you're to play all the songs one after the other you, you, the audience will be exhausted <laughs> <laughs> so much energy in them you, know. you have to pace yourselves there's no doubt about that anyway looking forward ye all are to the new Grange on Friday night as I said there's a few tickets still left not to be missed it'll be a sellout by the time Friday rolls round wish you well and thank you for joining me again today Adrian on Jerry, and uh, we look forward to seeing all our friends along on uh, in in Navin in the New Grange Hotel and around the country. You will so, indeed. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Adrian Dolan there, Joe's nephew. And just reminding you again, showtours.ie. You can book tickets there or uh, with the New Grange directly if you call in or if you give them a shout there. Oh four six nine zero seven four one zero zero. And uh, tickets moving there fast for that one. That's a lot on late lunch for this. Tuesday. Tomorrow on the show, Katrina Redman, the savvy shopper, is with me. She can do a meal for a euro. She can indeed. And she'll also be talking uh, about food and uh, lunch boxes and meals as back to school time approaches. It's coming round. It really does. The summer flies, doesn't it? Kevin Murphy's with me. He's the CEO of To Go Cup. Very interesting fella. Shona Madden is laying down the law and a little more from hot chocolate. Big thanks to Lizzie Dorn and Brian Farley, who guided me safely through the last couple of hours today. Thank you, folks. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive. But you heard Adrian mentioned there. He mentioned one song, didn't he? Well, he mentioned two, but the first one he mentioned, I'm delighted. We have it ready for you. Yes, it's Mr. Joe Dolan and Good Looking Woman. See you tomorrow at half past one for your midweek late lunch. When God created a woman for me LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.